Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, I'm Blair Bathory, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. Thank you so much for being here, whether this is your first time or you are one of the brave souls who join us every week. Welcome back. We all respect healthcare workers and those who work to heal the afflicted, but a job that intense must be difficult to leave it at work and not take things personally. All humans can be affected by burnout and lack of sleep. And for those in high-stakes jobs, one little slip-up can be deadly. It's not only patients that suffer, they may inadvertently end up destroying themselves as well. First, you can't stop what isn't there, followed by don't get bit, then a brush with death. Finally, in our featured story, Haunting Hallucinations. So, wanna hear something scary? Dealing with the dead. Hospital workers see so many things that would probably be unbelievable to the average person, and sometimes even unbelievable to them. Like in this story, written by Janine Pipe. I'd always wanted to be a nurse, ever since pre-K, where we got to play dress up, and I always chose that costume, wandering about with my plastic stethoscope and thermometer. I volunteered during my teens doing as much as I could, and finally graduated from nursing college. My first day arrived, and I was placed on the pediatric ward, which I was happy with, as I loved kids. Lucy showed me around and introduced me to some of the long-term patients, as well as demonstrating some of the minor procedures and caregiving I'd be doing. It's hard work, she warned, especially when a kid doesn't make it. But we do our absolute best for them and the family. It was an afternoon shift, 
And although it started off very busy, by finishing time, the ward was settling down as the kids were in bed or getting ready to be. I was tidying away some equipment when I noticed just how quiet it was. Hospitals always have a certain amount of underlying noise, machines beeping and whirring, low chatter from staff, but aside from all that, all I could hear were the dulcet tones of sleeping children. So when I turned around and saw a very small child stood by the empty nurse's station, I jumped. She looked very young, no more than five or six, dressed in what seemed like quite old-fashioned pajamas with a long, uneven pigtail. Due to the time of the evening, the lighting in the corridors had been dimmed slightly, and she appeared to be in shadow. There was something else, too, that I couldn't quite put my finger on at the time. Despite my initial surprise, I hurried over to her, presuming she needed assistance. Why else would she be out of bed and wandering the halls? Hello, sweetheart, I called gently. Is everything o- I didn't get to finish my sentence. I was only a couple of feet away when she suddenly completely disappeared. Let me explain. I don't mean she ran back to her bed or hid under the desk. She just vanished. One, two, three, poof, and gone. I just stood there in shock. All of the many things that could happen on your first day of a new job, witnessing a mysterious child evaporate into thin air was not on my bingo cards. I was still standing there, mouth agape when Lucy came over to tell me the shift was over and we'd be leaving the nighttime staff to it. Jenna, you can finish up now. Whoa, what's happened? She vanished, I whispered, feeling spooked, but now also foolish. Lucy frowned, looking around as if someone couldn't just vanish, but maybe I was losing it on my first day. Who's vanished? There's no one here, she asked, stating the obvious. I expected her to laugh when I told her what I was now not 100% sure I had actually seen when she suddenly looked uncomfortable. Come with me. Let's grab a quick coffee before you get off. We went into the break room and she filled two mugs with steaming Joe. She patted the couch and I sat next to her. I hadn't realized until I held the mug how cold I was. I think you just met Georgina, or Gigi as we like to call her. There's no easy way to say this, and usually it takes months before someone encounters her, if at all, but she paused as if judging my reaction so far before carrying on. Gigi was a patient here. Back in the 50s, she was only five years old when she died of TB. She's completely harmless, but does like to give us a good scare now and again. Lucy sighed deeply and took a long sip of coffee. I say she's harmless, and well, she really is. It's just, she's kind of a harbinger. I was about to ask exactly what she meant when there was a sudden commotion from one of the private rooms. Machine alarms were sounding, staff rushing in and out, and then we saw a gurney whiz past on the way to the OR. And there's your proof, sadly. You see, Gigi only tends to appear when we are about to lose one of the patients. Come on now. Time for you to go home, Jenna. Get some rest before tomorrow. You never know when Gigi might appear, but the outcome is usually pretty bad. 
I've been here six months now, and thankfully, I haven't seen Gigi again, yet. But every shift I wonder, what if she comes today? Have you ever seen someone you later found out didn't exist? Did it scare you? Or did you try to find that person again? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you're fascinated by the darker sides of humanity, join us every week on our podcast, Serial Killers, where we go deep into notorious true crime cases. With significant research and careful analysis, we examine the psyche of a killer, their motives and targets, and law enforcement's pursuit to stop their spree. Follow Serial Killers wherever you get your podcasts and get new episodes every Monday. Everyone likes to think they could be a hero in a bad situation, but it isn't until you're faced with the reality of an actual emergency that you'll discover if you would do what's right or run. Like in this story, inspired by Miki. Asriel was a doctor and scientific researcher. It's what he was born to do. He was bullied all through grade school for being a nerd, but it was worth it. Now he worked on an elite team developing a serum to cure brain cancer. He never expected to be bullied at the lab, but he was. His superior, Anthony Short, was a tyrant, and his colleague, Harsha, could no longer endure the terrible treatment they received. He'd had enough. They were in the middle of a trial for the next version of the serum. Harsha infected a defunct version of the serum into the human subject. They had tested it on mice, and it seemed to fry their brains and make them rabid. Harsha was the only one who continued to study the effects. He suspected terrible things would happen, but couldn't imagine to what scale. Later, post-injection, Azrael noticed the patient's vitals and called everyone else in. They were quiet as they watched the subject's brain functions on the monitor. Suddenly, the subject began to shake. 
The doctors approached him in panic. Short yelled for them to step aside, checking the vitals by hand. The subject threw his head back with his mouth wide open, slamming his face into Short's neck. He ripped the flesh off of Short's bones and devoured it hungrily. The team merely watched, frozen in horror. Azrael screamed, making the subject turn its head towards them. He leapt up and went straight for Harsha, pushing his thumbs into Harsha's eyes. As Harsha cried out in agony, Azrael charged for the door. But the rabid subject bit his hand right off the knob. With full force, Azrael slammed the thing's head into the wall, then ran out, hitting the building's fire alarm. He made it out of the building and into the lot headed for his car when he jumped backwards, hearing a crash of glass from above. His eyes widened as he hurried out of the way just as a body was free-falling from the 34th floor. It was Harsha. He was almost unrecognizable. He stood in a hurry as if he didn't just fall to his death. His eye sockets were empty. He looked towards Azrael, who covered his mouth to keep in his scream. Harsha dragged his foot around in blindness. Azrael was just a few meters away, so he slowly and carefully moved out of the way in fear that Harsha might hear him, although the chaotic sounds of the alarm and people panicking would probably cover it up. Azrael let out a sigh of relief as he got to his car. With blood-covered hands, he reached for his keys. Without bothering to look back, he drove off, passing deceased co-workers as he exited the compound. He knew this would only take days to get worse, and he did not want to be there for it. Once home, he cleaned his wound, wrapping a bandage around it. He then booked an immediate flight to Tahiti, a place far, far away from this catastrophe. Azriel quickly packed his things and got in an Uber to the airport, finally taking a breath once he was on the plane. <sighs> he leaned back in the first-class seat, having splurged, seeing as how everyone might be dead soon. He looked around at his fellow passengers, relieved to see that no one seemed to know yet what had occurred in the lab, what was sure to come. Suddenly, his eyes landed on the red wine that the woman beside him was drinking. He was mesmerized as his throat began to dry, feeling intense thirst. He reached out and the woman looked at him with a curious smile. Rough day, huh? She smiled coyly, handing him a glass. Azriel snapped out of his daze, stared at the wine and apologized. The woman insisted, so he chugged it down in hopes he could ignore the sudden need for a red liquid. I'm Emma, she said, with her hand extended. He looked at Emma with her bright blue eyes. She started to look appetizing. Azriel then stared at the woman's hands, which now seemed mouth-watering. You have such beautiful hands, he complimented. Without thinking, he raised it to his mouth. Emma smiled and blushed, thinking he would kiss her hand, but her expression turned to horror when she saw him open his mouth to bite her. His teeth sunk deeper into her flesh. When he hit bone, he bit down and pulled up the piece of meat he had gotten. He paid no attention to her cries. He was just captivated by the delicious taste of her neck. Her screams, did catch everyone else's attention. As other passengers approached them, Azriel had a feast to enjoy. He pounced from one to another, leaving wounds on each and every passenger, spreading the virus. 
they eventually got the pilot. Those infected survived the massive crash and raced across the city. The once bustling cities were now filled with chunks of partially devoured flesh and bones. And while the virus eats away at Azrael's brain, his final thoughts were, I feel no pain. This must be peace. Have you ever wanted revenge so badly you risk everyone else's life to get it? If this zombie apocalypse came, would you be prepared? Illness and death can be very terrifying. You can either fear it or embrace it. Like in this story inspired by a true experience from Sarah. When I was 10 years old, I almost died from cystic fibrosis, a lung condition that I was born with. The diagnosis was terminal if I couldn't get a double transplant. The doctors tried to make me comfortable, but I could tell by my interactions with them, they had little hope for me. After all, they weren't miracle workers. My first set of new lungs had a rare complication. I coded and was literally dead. That's when I gained contact with the spirit world on the other side. I was in a coma for what seemed like a very long time. When I woke up, I was no longer in the hospital. Instead, I was in a beautiful field of lilies and for the first time in a long time, I could breathe. I pulled off my oxygen mask and ran through the field. I didn't have to gasp for air. I took in the scent of flowers and the grass. Tears of joy rolled down my face when I saw a bright light, finally feeling free. I started walking towards the light when I heard a voice, followed by a second, one that I recognized, the other I had heard before. I turned around and saw my cousin Jackson, who had passed away from a brain tumor when he was only six and I was seven. He was standing hand in hand with my grandmother, Regina. She'd passed away one month before my birth. I had never met her before, but I felt immediately connected to her. I had so many questions. How was this possible? Was I dead? My grandma gave Jackson a nod, then sat under a tree. Jackson came over with a smile on his face and hugged me tightly. Even though he was small, he picked me up off my feet like it was nothing. I couldn't help but laugh. I was pain-free and happy. I told him how much I missed him. It was so beautiful. Could we just play here all day? Then worry set in. Would my parents and family be okay with me being gone? Surely they'd be happy I was pain-free. Then Jackson looked away from me sadly, shaking his head. You can't come with me, not yet, he said. I was confused. I thought I was already dead. What do you mean I can't come with you? I thought when I died, we would be together forever. Jack smiled again. He explained I hadn't died, not properly. I wasn't where he was, not really. I could only go so far. It wasn't my time yet, but I'd be with him again one day. I couldn't help but continue to stare longingly at the light behind him. I felt drawn toward it, knowing I'd be free from pain and suffering if 
I couldn't stay with him, where was I to go? Jack just smiled. It was so comforting. He took my face in his hands, kissed my cheek, and told me, You don't belong here yet. You have to go back. With that, he shoved me backwards, and when I tried to catch myself, there was nothing beneath me. Just a whole lot of nothingness as I free fell into oblivion. My eyes shot open. I felt groggy, tired, and weak. I was hooked into all types of tubes and machines. Looking down over me were doctors and both of my parents. My mom took my hand as I tried reaching for her and dad desperately, but I could barely lift my atrophied arm, let alone run through a field of lilies. Sarah, you have new lungs now. You're going to be okay, my mother cried. It has now been nine years since then. Sometimes I still see Jack in my dreams and sometimes we talk. I recently had a near-death experience and I got to be with him and my grandma, Regina, again. Only for a moment. They smiled and waved. I know I'm supposed to be grateful for every second of life I have, but if I'm being honest, every time I get sick or see a dangerous, life-threatening situation, I can't help but think, what if? What if I could go back to the field and run free? I'm not afraid to die. When my time comes, I'll welcome it. Have you ever had a brush with death? Was it scary or comforting? Did you come back with any messages from the other side? Tell us your story by emailing somethingscary at snarled.com. The first month of the year is already over. Have you kept your New Year's resolutions? Have you made some new ones? Have you heard any good ghost stories? Before we get to our story, I just wanted to say that we would love to have you join our Patreon. We are primarily advertising dependent, but we would all like to be able to do fewer ads, and you can help make that possible by becoming a patron. Patrons get bonus episodes and access to a patrons-only Discord. Most of all, you will help us keep doing all the work that we do. Visit patreon.com snarled. In our final story, join my co-host Stephanie as she tells the tale of the origin of zombies inspired by Miki and animated over on our YouTube channel now. Sometimes, no matter how many times someone tells you otherworldly spirits exist, you have to experience it for yourself to believe it. Anusha didn't believe in anything supernatural. She was someone who needed to see things to believe them. To her, ghosts and jinns were excuses that parents used to stop their children from going out after dark. Anusha worked as a receptionist at the hospital. When her shift ended at 9 p.m., she would be wired from the busy day and go out till dawn to party, stumbling home only after the sun had risen. She knew it was dangerous, burning the candle at both ends. But working in a hospital, she also knew you only live once. One night after her shift, a colleague suggested that they try a new bar that had just opened. It was further out of town, but Anusha immediately agreed. They took two separate cars, of course, one Anusha drove. 
The hours flew by as they were having fun and it was soon 2 a.m. and time to call it a night. The cars took the same route back until they got to the Mohawkali overbridge, the first ever flyover built in Bangladesh, where they parted ways back to their different homes. The road was deserted, not a soul in sight. Anusha didn't know if it was just because she was exhausted, but she felt the bridge had an eerie feeling to it. The wind whistling as they sped along. They were around the middle of the bridge when Anusha spotted something that caused her to panic. A woman in white running straight towards them. The passengers in Anusha's car shrieked in horror as the woman headed right for them, making no sign of stopping even after seeing the car. They had no way of stopping in time. Anusha flinched as the woman just stood there, waiting for Anusha's car to hit her. Anusha instinctively wanted to swerve to the side, and there was still time. It would be the rational thing to do to avoid an accident, but a voice in the back of her head urged her not to. She looked around and saw that swerving left or right would result in a collision with the railings, or even worse, crash through them and down onto the road underneath. So she did as her brain instructed and drove on, not caring about the consequences, not caring about anything but saving her life and those of her passengers. She drove straight into the woman, who did not even wince as the vehicle hit her. It was as though she was made out of thin air and the car simply passed through her. Anusha looked into the rearview mirror in disbelief, only to see the woman still standing where she had been. But she turned around and saw her face was staring at them, yet there was no blood in sight. Then she disappeared, a collective hallucination and the remainder of their journey home was normal. The next day, Anusha was recounting her story at the hospital, telling a colleague about a woman on the bridge. In the middle of her story, she noticed a patient staring wide-eyed at her. He was a middle-aged man with a broken leg and arm, and his face was cut open and badly bruised. He stared at her with an expression of awe. Anusha couldn't help but be a little creeped out. When she asked the man if he needed something, he asked her anxiously, You really encountered her too? You got away? <sighs> what do you mean, me too? Anusha asked hesitantly. The woman in white, he said. Blood began to pulse through Anusha's body. She never said anything about the woman wearing white. Had this patient seen the same thing? He then took a long breath. There's a legend about the place, he murmured. Many people see her. She's a vengeful spirit. Probably rightfully so. She met her end on the bridge where she was killed by a drunk driver. She only appears to people when they have been drinking. Now you know the people who swerve all over the road usually aren't thinking straight. They crash into the railing, sometimes flying over the ledge to their deaths. You should consider yourself lucky. The reality of what happened finally hit Anusha. The logical part of the brain told her he was crazy. It was just a coincidence. It just couldn't have been real. She didn't believe in ghosts. <laughs> you have no proof, Anusha exclaimed as a bead of sweat trickled down the nape of her neck. No proof, he shouted back as he gestured to his broken bones and torn up face. I'm living proof. 
I swerved to miss her, almost damn near died. Anuja looked at the patient in shock, realizing how fortunate she'd been. And with that, she never doubted the existence of the supernatural ever again. This week's podcast stories were edited by Sarah Lukasiewicz, Janine Pipe, and Stephanie Strange. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Irma Richardson. Produced by Anna Villalobos. Executive produced by Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sindalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my spooky friends, sweet screams. <laughs>